we all were so different. I think our brothers were in the teens, so I can't even imagine what they went through, right?、Um, but we were each other's companion. We were each other's playdates.、Um, people probably thought it was weird, but you know, we were each other's. I think safe net, and I don't think if I don't think we would survive without each other. Previously, in episode two, I shared the story about my sister Joanne, who was just three days old when my family had to flee the town of Dainang in March of 1975. The evacuation was just 30 days before the fall of Saigon, when the North Vietnamese had won the civil war and taken over the country. Hi, I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and welcome to the podcast Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. On today's episode, we will continue Joanne's story. She will share with us her earliest childhood memories of what life was like for us living in the United States when we first came as refugees, and the importance of family to help us cope with the challenges and transitions. My family's wealth disappeared overnight, along with many other families under the new government system. New currencies were issued several times to erase any wealth prior to the new regime, and private businesses were eradicated. There was no such thing as capitalism from that point on. Citizens were forced to become farmers and manual laborers to help rebuild the country. Food was scarce and rationed. People were sent to re-education camps for several hours a day. Some were sent overnight to never be seen again. Soldiers monitored city borders to ensure citizens did not migrate out of their designated zones. I was born two years after the war had ended. My sister Joanne was about two and a half years old at the time. My family barely had enough to feed six kids, and now they had a seventh. We lived under post-war desperate times. My family nicknamed me Baba, which is a type of grain that they learned to farm at that time, and it was our main source of food. Because we were such a large family, it was too risky and expensive for all of us to escape Vietnam at one time. Instead, my father and oldest brother left in 1979. They were the first ones, followed by my three other brothers in 1980. And then my mom, sisters, and I in 1981. We were one of the lucky ones. All nine of us survived the journey, and we reunited in the United States after three years of separation. So, Joanne, I think out of everyone in the family, you and I probably have no memory about what life was like in Vietnam.、Um, so, I think today, what we could share with our listeners is what we do remember. I was actually pretty young. I think when we first came to the U.S.,、um, I was probably five and a half, going on to six. So we were in Louisiana, right outside New Orleans, going to school. I remember not speaking the language, looking different,、um, speaking different, 
And I remember always sitting by myself at lunchtime,、um, of course, and our clothes were different. So, I know. <laughs> yeah, so back in the day,、um, living in New Orleans, there wasn't a lot of diversity. Back then, it was, in the South, it's either Caucasian or African American, so there was no such thing as other countries migrating into that city. According to a study published by the University of California, There were fewer than 15,000 Vietnamese living in the United States in the early 1970s. After the war ended in 1975, the Vietnamese became one of America's largest refugee groups. The majority of refugees were sponsored by different charity organizations, but eventually had to find their independence, with many settling into neighborhoods that were poor, where the public school systems did not function well. And the streets were surrounded by gangs, violence, and drugs. This was true for our family. Our early years in America, living in Louisiana, we struggled not only with the language and the culture, but we stood out as an ethnic group. You know, just coming home every day, telling my mom and dad, you know, crying, saying I never wanted to go back again. We all were so different. I think our brothers were in the teens, so I can't even imagine what they went through. Our mom was a live-in nanny. I can clearly remember this: this that dad would take us, the girls, to visit mom at the her boss's house with the children on the weekends to see her because there are times where she couldn't leave for the weekend to come back home. We went to their place and spent either the weekend or the day with her. And I remember, although the family was nice, you know, I think she was with a few families. But I remember distinctly some of the kids would say, "Oh, you know, your mom lives with us. Your mom loves us more than you." And then, can you imagine a six, seven, eight-year-old hear some another kid says that about your mom? It's heartbreaking.、Mm-hmm. But we appreciate that she is working to make a better life for us. So、um, I can't even imagine us being a live-in, and I know you have to do what you have to do. But just having seven children, leaving them five, six days a week. Another time, I remember. What was it? We forgot your birthday. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, New Orleans. I'm only the sixth kid, and you know the war. The war destroyed all our birth certificates. No one knew what month or day I was born. But yes, they skipped over my birthday. It was、celebration. the first year in New Orleans. No, no, the pictures were in New Orleans. Was it the first year? I felt like the family forget it every year. We came in. I think November eighty one,、yeah. and your birthday is in March, and we have pictures of celebrating Tuan's birthday in May with you in the background crying, <laughs> realizing that we forgot your birthday. <laughs> Maybe that's why I celebrate birthdays so big these days. You do a whole week celebration, sometimes、like、a, a month. month. <laughs> And not just me. I celebrate everyone a whole month. So maybe that's the reason why. But yes, I remember we, we still have that picture. Everyone's happy and blowing out Tuan's candle. <laughs> you were crying in the background. I'm in the background <laughs> crying because they skipped my birthday. <laughs> that's pretty sad. It's tormented for kids at six, seven years old when your parents forgot your birthday. But understandable. If you have seven kids, it's probably hard to remember. Even though we were kids and we were struggling, I think we were happy. Like I don't think we knew any better, right? 
but I don't think we thought of ourselves as unfortunate. No, I don't think we did. And I think a lot to do with is our family value and our family. Uh, all our siblings are, to this day, very close. I actually, um, 43, still get excited with family gatherings and seeing my brothers and sisters. So I think that enriches our lives better than the materialistic stuff. Um, and that we, and we also didn't have a lot of play dates back then because there was no such thing as right play or dates. even friends for that yeah. matter <laughs> <laughs> but each other so we have no comparison either and i remember intermediate school back then i think guess was in or a certain brand or jordash and i wanted a designer jeans i remember it was guess it was too expensive so I remember mom would somehow, um, the clothes that she was working uh, for their kids, they didn't fit and they didn't fit me, but she cut out the, the triangle symbol and sewed it on my <laughs> metal <laughs> jeans. <laughs> so, and I was happy and content. No one knew, but you know, that's being resourceful and a mom trying to make us happy, you know? Within the family, we have the support, and to us, if, if we didn't have that, then yes, we would have been very ha- unhappy. Us three girls in high school sharing one room with dad building... He built our beds. He built a bed. <laughs> Remember you bought a big sponge yes. and you cut it into a, oh a twin God. size? Yes. And then I remember when Tuan went to college, I was so happy. At least one less person in the small room. But I remember dad going to Home Depot, wherever he got the wood, and he literally painted and made the beds himself. From scratch. From scratch. scratch. I know. It's so interesting how um, these things stick with you, yeah. and it's like I'm I'm so happy that we uh, can provide so much more for our kids than we were able to have when we were growing up. But at the same time, afraid they won't grow up with the same values or ethics or just kind of hustle that I think yeah. our generation grew up with. Our parents. Um, they worked hard for where we are today. So I wouldn't take that credit. I would probably have mom and dad take that credit. During these times, my parents took odd and end jobs. Like many immigrants that come to the United States, they were educated but limited to certain jobs based on language and culture. To survive and care for the family, they had to prioritize earning money over education or recertifications. Instead, they took low-paying jobs, worked around the clock, and learned English over time. Our first few years in America was tough, but my parents knew that this was a different type of hardship. Because in America, they believed that hard work and patience can lead to a light at the end of the tunnel. They did not feel that way in Vietnam. My father later went to night school to earn a computer science degree and became an IT professional. My mom eventually went on to work at a 7-Eleven convenience store, first as a sales clerk to becoming the night manager. She saw it as her training ground, and by the time I was in high school, mom was running her own business and became a successful serial entrepreneur. So, Joe, I'm starting this project, and I had a couple interviews already with our family, Mm -hmm. many more to come, but what do you hope that I will show out of this? Like, what would you like to know among everyone in our family? 
well, first of all, I'm so proud of you for this project because I know we've talked about this years and years, something that before mom and dad pass away that they can appreciate how we appreciate what they've gone through and want to share our stories. I mean, I've had friends for 20 years have no idea what we went through because I thought it's personal and I don't want people to feel sorry for me, you know? But my thing is I want this project to continue and I think you're the only one that's capable to do this. In the family? In the family. <laughs> Thank you. We have great ideas, but no one will execute on them. We have a lot of opinions. Opinions. Exactly. We have a lot of opinions, but none of us will execute. You actually went and execute this. And so far, it's amazing. Today is so relevant in this environment right now that I love for people to know this. But more importantly for me is to hear what our brothers and our dad, who I felt like has been kind of their feelings and emotions been bottled up for years and years. We all fled the country in phases. So hearing dad's story, um, I, I'm not even aware because dad never talks about it. What do you think our life would be like if we hadn't left Vietnam? Like, where do you think we'd be today? Probably married and have like seven kids. <laughs> like mom and dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that you enjoyed today's episode, and regardless of your political views, that the stories of the Vietnamese boat people evokes more compassion for refugees and migrants all over the world today. These are stories about humans seeking better and safer lives for their children, and the importance of family for one to emotionally survive the hardship. I'm Tracy Nguyen Meng, and thank you for listening to Stories of the Vietnamese Boat People. If you would like to share your refugee story on our podcast, please contact us at stories at vietnameseboatpeople.org.